All right. Good morning. How are we doing? I feel like uh, Christmas is here in full force, right? I don't know if it happened in your family the way you do with mine, something between last week and this week, and it is here. Maybe it's the like, I don't know if December 15th is the day where now there's that nervousness of anything you order, you don't know if it's coming, right? You don't know if you're going to be writing little notes. It's coming in the mail, and that's going to be all of your, whatever it is, it's here. Um, Hey, I want to say, in in light of that, I recognize, I was reading a study this week that um, during the Christmas season, it's this time where uh, folks that don't normally go to church, don't have a church home, are just likely to come. In fact, study I read said that 66% of people who don't normally go to church will accept an invitation to come to church. That's in the the South where we live. I mean, 66%. So uh, my guess is that might be several of you that are here at Mercy today. And whether that's you're back to church after a long time, never being around it, or you're trying church out, whatever it is, uh, we're just glad and honored that you're here. Uh, We want to make the most of the Christmas season to celebrate the hope of Christ. In fact, I want to take just a second. uh, All of us on your chair when you got here was this thing. We're going to call it a Christmas square. Everybody grab it. Independence, Providence Road, everybody's grabbing it. Hold it up to show me, everybody, both locations, you're holding it up. All right, we have this card. All right, here's what we'll talk about. Christmas Eve, we're going to make the most of that opportunity to invite people to hear the gospel, to celebrate the arrival of Christ with us, all right? That's what this is for. What we're doing on Christmas Eve is three services, 3 o'clock, 4.30, and 6. I mean, we're doing three services to make room for you to invite those who live near you, those who work near you, whatever it is, we want you to invite, okay? Because we just think this is an incredible opportunity. There's a, um, a family coming on Christmas Eve. They're brand new to the United States. They're not Christians. They've already told us they're coming because Americans go to church at Christmas. I'm like, you know what? We'll take it, right? If that's the reason they're coming and they get to hear the gospel because of that, we'll take that tradition and use that as a chance for them to hear the great news of Christ. Now, if you look at me and you say, yeah, but I don't really do paper. So this isn't really my kind of thing to do paper. Okay, fine. Here's what you do right now. Get out your phone, right? I want you to text the word Christmas to the following number, 704, 703. I'm serious. Do it right. If you're not going to use this paper, this is what I want you to do. 704-703-5867. What you're going to get is the digital version of this card right here, all right? And then you have to give that away to at least five people, all right? Because digital is just easier, all right? So you don't have to take this. I'm assuming if this is on your seat at the end of service, it's because you've already sent this to five people that you've invited to join you on Christmas Eve, all right? We're going to make the most of every opportunity. We love Christmas around here. We get really excited about it. I just, I want you to think that the person that you know who's far from God but close to you might be one invite away from encountering Christ. And we're going to make the most of that. So listen, all right, anyways, we love Christmas. We're taking this month to go through the Christmas story, uh, the coming of Christ. We've been in Matthew chapter one the last couple of weeks. This week, we're going to make our way over to Luke chapter one. So if you have your Bible, make your way over to Luke. We're going to see the Christmas story from the perspective now of Mary. Last week, we saw it from the perspective of Joseph. And what we saw was kind of how Joseph responded when God really interrupted his life. And this week, we're going to keep pulling on that thread because Mary is going to get a giant interruption. It's going to lead to a lot of uncertainty. It's going to lead to this spot of what should I do now in light of what I'm hearing, right? The kind of uncertainty that can breed fear, breed despair. And yet what we know, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, is out of this moment that should create uncertainty and fear comes 
the greatest hope the world has ever known. And what I think is so powerful about Mary's story is how the message of God, hear me out, the message of God before the activity of God happens, the message of God is what gives her hope before everything gets resolved. There's in this scene that we're gonna look at, there's no nativity, right? There's no shepherds and foreign dignitaries coming to worship, no grown son healing the sick and casting out demons without anything other than this news, news that will turn her life upside down. She gets to a place where she writes this song that comes a few verses after what we're gonna look at today. With just the news of what's going to happen it creates in her something. She writes this song. That, here's, what she, here's how she starts it. She says, my soul praises the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Look at this. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Somehow, Mary gets to the place where this news that should create uncertainty and fear actually gives her great hope great peace, even excitement and anticipation about what's to come. Now think about us, y'all. You know when something um, unexpected that's it's like kind of bad news comes to us or, or happens to us, someone close to you will offer those words of comfort. It's almost like a comfort reflex we have in our culture of, hey, it's going to be okay, right? It's going to be okay. I know this is what you heard and this is what you found out. It's going to be okay. I mean, in, in simple things like when your kid loses a basketball game and you go, hey, buddy, he's looking dejected. You're like, hey, it's going to be okay, right? Because you know in two hours, he's going to be off playing and forgetting all about it. It's going to be okay. Or maybe your, your friend comes and tells you that his girlfriend just dumped him, right? And you're like, man, I want to pick him up a little bit. I want to tell him, hey, it's, I know this is bad right now. This stinks, but it's going to be okay. Because what you're doing, you're trying to give him a little hope. You're looking down the line of his life and say, hey, better days are coming for you. And so in light of the fact that better days will come, I want you to, to feel a little bit better in the moment right here today, right? So it's going to be okay. That's kind of our thing that we say to one another, which works sometimes. But you and I both know that there's a whole lot of, of real lifetimes where we say it or we hear it and it just doesn't satisfy, right? We just don't believe it. Someone you love gets a terminal diagnosis. How is that going to be okay? In fact, what does okay even mean right there? Does it mean it's going to be good? Or does it mean it's going to be tolerable? What each of us come to understand at one point or another is that in this life, we need more than sentiment to create hope in real life. And what God is going to offer Mary today is real, concrete hope, not some abstract sentiment, it's going to be okay. God offers a concrete promise to her, and she offers it to us today as well. Christmas isn't some warm sentimentality inside of a cold month. It's way more than it's going to be okay. Christmas is meant to be this faith awakening season of worship. And it's all built around an announcement of God's hope, God's promise, his favor that he has delivered to us. And that's what we're going to get into today. What is God's hope that he has announced to you and how you can receive it? We're going to start in verse 26 of Luke 1, probably get about 10 verses done today is my guess. Here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. All right. Nazareth is like small town Israel. Small town, small town. Not a respected one easier either. There's a spot over in John 1, a guy named Philip, 
goes to his buddy, Nathaniel. So Phil and Nate, right? Phil says, hey, I've met this guy. His name is Jesus. Turns out he's the one that Moses was talking about that's gonna come and be the Messiah. He's the one all the prophets are talking about. I found him, Nate, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nate goes, that's great, man. But how could anything good ever come out of Nazareth? right? That's the town we're talking about, a backwoods town with no good reputation. And I point that out because what you see, the more you read scripture is you see this pattern emerging that should kind of light you up and light hope in you. It's the story of hidden people, of the ones in the margins. That's the people time and again, God goes to. That's the time and again, the people God loves to use to carry out his purpose. You don't have to have royal blood to receive the favor, love, and blessing of the king of kings. In fact, (laughs) it is so often seen that in God's economy, the more ordinary, the more mundane your story is, the better, because it's going to ensure that God gets the glory instead of anyone else. Verse 27, Gabriel came to a virgin, engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. All right, now listen, last week we focused on how um, God interrupted Joseph's life, right? Today, Joseph is just a little bit more of a footnote. This is really all we get from him, right? She's engaged though. I want to remind you, if you weren't here last week, let me fill you in. Engagement is a really big deal, much bigger sort of binding commitment than what we have today. When we talk about engagement, this was such a binding commitment that over in Matthew, Matthew's going to refer to Joseph as Mary's husband, right? This is a really big deal. Families are already being bound together. There's a whole lot of thing already happening. The wedding's coming up. Plans are already made. And then God sends his messenger to bring this news. It's big news, news we can't miss. Verse 28, the angel came and said to her, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting could this be? Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, so I love to do with the Bible is to ask questions whenever I send something. I'm like, that seems strange, right? So the question is, why would Mary be afraid? Well, obvious first answer is Mary's seeing an angel. Angels in the Bible are not those chubby little toddlers, you know, with wings or something flying around with toy bow and arrows, right? That's not what we have. Angels in the Bible are towering, majestic warriors of light that every time they show up, their first thing they say is usually, hey, don't die right? Because they're so terrifying to the one that they're coming to. But there's something else happening here. You notice the way she says, the way um, she says, says she's troubled, or Luke says she's troubled at the statement by the greeting, not just the presence. Basically, when he says favored woman, that troubles her because she thinks, who am I that God's messenger should show up in all his heavenly pomp and circumstance for me? I mean, Put yourself in the shoes a little bit, right? Imagine you're at home one day, right? You got your hoodie on, your apartment pants. You're sitting in your house. You're sitting in your apartment because you're wearing apartment pants, right? And you hear this knock at the door and you go, you look at the people and you can see there's a crowd of people and nobody looks dangerous. You're like, I'll check this out. You open the door and it's the Queen of England's royal convoy, all right? And the the whole group is there and the dude with the fuzzy hat, right? He's got the announcement that he wants to make to you and he says, Greetings, oh favored one from the Queen of England, Her Royal Majesty. And then all the trumpets, 
and everybody starts opening their doors and they're looking, they got their apartment pants all right. They're all looking at what's going on. And you're like, what is happening? Now you may think, is this my princess diaries moment, right? But then when you get past that and you realize, no, that's not what's going on here because you're from McLeansville, North Carolina. And so is everybody that you've ever known, ever been related to, okay? Once you realize that, you have to think, what is happening? Why are you here? It's a little bit troubling. Mary is saying, why is God Almighty calling me favored one? Verse 31, now listen, (laughs) as if the angel needed to say that, right? Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. All right, y'all, I don't know if you caught it. There's a whole lot. This just happened in those three verses. The angel has made a very bold announcement. First, she's going to conceive. Second, this baby is going to be the one. We looked at this a whole lot last week. This is the angel saying, the one that the entire Old Testament has been prophesying about, has been saying is coming. That one, Gabriel says, is, that's Jesus. Jesus is going to be the promised Messiah. Gabriel says it in these verses five different ways. First, he says he's great. That's not just him saying like, like Courtney's chocolate chest pie is great. It's great. He's great. No, this is something very specific. Anytime the word great is put by itself without any qualifications, like great king, great leader, something like that, just great, that is reserved for God and God alone. He will be son of the most high. This is Genesis 14, 18. The most high refers exclusively to God alone. Throne of his father, David. That's a reference to 2 Samuel 7. Long time ago, it's promised that a son of David is gonna be the Messiah who reigns over Israel forever. In fact, 2 Samuel 7, listen, it says that the one will have a great name, messianic sonship, a divine throne, and an eternal kingdom. Reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's the next one. That's Micah 4, 7, that the Messiah is going to rule over Zion, a kingdom with no end. In the Old, Old Testament, only God's kingdom is eternal. We heard that already read this morning in Micah 5, 2. All five of these are divine declarations from Gabriel, four of which characterize God alone, and he's applying all of them to Jesus. This is the one, Mary, and you're going to be his mom. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Y'all, I think if we pause and consider this question, it is actually a lot of grace to us because we get to see Mary processing this news. That's what's so good about it. She's processing it. She hasn't written her song of praise yet. So, I mean, think about it for a second. Is her question right here a question of doubt? Well, yeah. Kind of, right? I mean, after all, it's just basic biology she's asking. Virgins don't have babies. So is Mary doubting God? And the reason we ask that is because isn't doubting God bad? Well, let's dig into that a little bit. Because the first part of the chapter, those of you who have read all of Luke 1 know that before Gabriel shows up to Mary, he shows up to this guy, Zachariah. Zachariah is 80 plus years old. And Gabriel comes and said, listen, man, you and Elizabeth who is also 80 plus, this is his wife, y'all are gonna have a baby. And Zachariah says, nope, dude, we're 80, okay? This is my translation, the actual Greek to English 
I don't know what yours says, but he said, and then he says, how is that possible? And in response to get to Zachariah saying, how's that possible? The angel puts him in like time out for nine months. You're not allowed to speak for the next nine months. All right. So the, the natural question is Mary's question sounds a whole lot like Zach's question. So is Mary going to be in trouble? But instead, look how the angel replies to her. The angel replied to her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called once childless. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary gets an explanation. Why? Why does she get an explanation when Zechariah gets put in this kind of timeout, when he gets this discipline? Did Gabriel just not have his coffee yet that morning? No, right? There's a lot more going on here. I want to take about five minutes and explain a concept I think is going to be so helpful for some of you. I want to talk about doubt when it comes to trusting God. See, in Luke 1, what we see, Tim Keller, uh, in his great book, Hidden Christmas, lays this out beautifully, says there are basically two kinds of doubts that we see here, good doubt and bad doubt. He refers to it as dishonest doubt and honest doubt. Dishonest doubt, he said, is it's proud and it's lazy. And it responds to God's revelation by simply saying, that's impossible. Or maybe more contemporary for our language, that's dumb. This is proud and defiant. And actually, when you think about it, it's not doubt at all. It's just an outright claim, an outright assertion. Dishonest doubt is closed-minded. It refuses to consider any possibility whose purposes and powers are beyond its own understanding. Honest doubt, Keller says, on the other hand, honest doubts are humble. Honest doubts lead you to ask real questions, not just put up walls to what you don't understand. When you ask a real question, though, it puts you in a vulnerable position, doesn't it? Because what if God answers you? And what if when he answers you, his answer shatters the way that you've always looked at the world? And what if it demands you give something that you weren't quite ready to give? See, honest doubts are doubts that are open to belief. Mary's question asks for information and she leaves herself open to the possibility of a good answer that might cause her to shift her views on everything. Y'all, something I've learned, if you're really asking God from a posture of, of humble doubt, from openness to hear about what he's doing and why, and you're open to it, he might just answer you. I mean, look at this great, beautiful truth in verse 37 that every generation of Christians has clung to since it was announced. Nothing will be impossible with God. Mary got this great revelation through expressing humble open doubt. The more you come to God with a humble, open heart and mind, humble questions, the more you get to discover the mysteries of the faith from God, the more you'll be able to give that great knowledge away to others. So to those of you today here with doubts, talking both to believers and to seekers, God, why would you do this? God, what's going on here? God, are you real? My question back to you is, are your doubts humble? Are they open to the possibility of God giving you an answer that you might be uncomfortable with? The way Keller says it, are you willing to doubt your doubts? Or are they so firmly fixed in your mind that you've actually closed your mind to a God who might contradict them? 
Most people who are cynical about faith, it's really not doubt that's the problem. It's the proud and defiant heart behind their doubt that's the problem. What we see in God's dealing with Mary is such grace, such kindness to a woman who doubted her doubts. And we see a God who revealed even more of himself to her because of it. After Gabriel gives this additional revelation from God, look at Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. This unexpected set of circumstances is dropped on her. She processes it. She, she heard the news and was able to understand what it meant for her. And so using her as an example, I want us to look at the real hope of Christmas. I want us to see this as not just a sentiment, not just it's going to be okay. I want us to grab hold of the same promise that Mary grabbed hold of. I want to show you where real hope comes from. Here it is. It's when we hear the true favor of God and receive it. See, the whole scene began with Gabriel approaching Mary and saying that you're favored by God, so don't be afraid. Now, that's the key, favored. So let's talk about that for a second because that's where the the news lies, the promise is built in there and the language of favor of God, y'all. In our day, it could just be, it can come across hyper-spiritual, And because of that, we can sometimes miss what it means. You know, the TV preacher says, hey, gaining wealth and looking good, that's the favor of God, right? And he talks about how he got a new airplane and that's the favor of God on him. Is he right? I mean, is it right to say, well, if we get good grades and and maybe our kids get good grades or we make the team or we got that great spot at Target right in the middle of a Saturday morning rush? Are you kidding? Well, if that's not it, then what is the favor of God? I mean, think about Mary's situation. She's being told she's going to be pregnant before she's married. That's not just, you got to understand, it's not just frowned upon in her culture. It's a crime, right? It's a crime for her to be pregnant outside of marriage. It's punishable by death. Joseph's probably going to leave her over this, which means she'll probably never get married, which that's not just like an unfulfilled hope, something she wanted. That's also a big financial problem for her. She'll be even poorer than she already is. Nobody's going to hire her. She'll probably be out on the street having to beg. At the moment of this announcement, she's got no future prospects and a ruined reputation. Yet she rejoices and finds hope in the favor of God toward her. What in this message stirs that kind of hope? Well, you saw it. She's going to give birth to a son and a son who already has a name because the son already has a calling. Her son will be Jesus, the savior, who will save his people from their sins. Mary's greatest problem, just like everyone else's, was that her relationship with God had been severed and in need of restoring. And her son was coming to restore even her to God. He would be God's promise fulfilled. How incredible is this? I mean, look at the picture of Mary. Mary is currently under the penalty of death. That's there to be a picture of all of us, right? Jesus born to a woman under the curse of death. We, the whole human race, were under the curse of death. And Jesus was born to us and would grow up and would take the curse of death in our place. See, the favor of God is a savior sent to bring salvation from sin to his people. That's the favor of God. That's the announcement to you and I today. Christmas isn't, it's going to be okay. Christmas is saying, you and I can be reconciled to God. 
That's where hope comes from. And he's not only going to save them from their sins. Gabriel says he's going to rule over the throne of David. Mary would know what that meant. The forever king on David's throne, y'all, that meant peace. It meant an age of rest and blessing in the world that the, the Jews called that promise, the shalom of the world that would finally come. And now that king is coming. This is the king we all want. The king is going to reverse the curse that sin has brought on the world. Y'all, this Bible has this way throughout the Old and New Testament of pointing to the future day, of pointing to the one day, right? When decay and darkness and danger of this world is going to be no more. Isaiah 11 says there's a day coming where the infant will play beside the cobra's pit. Isaiah 60 says sons and daughters lost by their parents are going to be given back to them. Revelation says there'll be a restoration of bodies that have been destroyed by disease. Y'all, the favor of God is a king who will reverse the pain and disappointments of this world. Not just a savior, but a savior and a king who's going to reverse the pain and disappointments of this world. Mary's pregnancy is one of the two pregnancies in Luke 1 meant to point us to the work of God to come one day. The other, of course, is Elizabeth, right? She's been disappointed her whole life. She was never able to conceive, and yet here she is with child. Luke, tying these two pregnancies together, shows that this baby of Mary's will one day erase every disappointment in this life. There's a day coming where injustice will be made right. I know it. Some cultures know injustice better than others, but we all know it. We find ourselves hearing in the headlines over and over, will there ever be justice? And the announcement of Christmas is yes, one day. And we fight hard as the church for a taste of that now, but one day the king will sit on the throne of David and there will be good justice for all, righteous justice for all on that day. And it's not that all the suffering will be forgotten. It's not, it's going to be okay. Here's what it is instead. It's going to be made new. Somehow the king is going to restore everything so completely that the feelings of loss in this life won't be remembered because of the joy we now have. This is where hope comes from. This is the news you can't miss today. Here's the way I would, here's how I'd call hope coming out of this, this scene here. Hope is the confident expectation that Christ is already one, and will one day bring us into his forever victory over sin and death. I want you to sit in that for a second. This is where the hope of the Christian faith comes from. That Christ has already won. He died for our sins. He rose again, defeating the grave and the penalty for sin. He has already won. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He has already won. And one day he will bring us into. He promises one day he will bring every one of us into his forever victory over sin and death. Hope is certainty that the best really is yet to come. So for you who are disappointed right now, and I know that feeling, that feeling's in our, our family in a lot of ways because holidays are different now with the loss of a loved one we experienced last year. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe disappointed by something else. Maybe even a little jaded by the holidays. Let me encourage you with the words of Hebrews 12. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, 
He is your savior and king. And in the announcement of his coming, before he came, just in the announcement of it, Mary rejoiced. Here's a second way to latch on to the hope of Christ this Christmas. Try doubting with faith. For you skeptics who find this whole story just, just silly. Because I mean, after all, how could, scientifically speaking, how could a virgin have a child? And you see that one thing, that one message of Christianity. And on the other though, you see a religion birthed out of nobodies from nowhere whose followers ask nothing of anybody and give everything they have to the world. And you see that that religion somehow has endured for over 2000 years. And, and those two things just seem like they can't coexist. Look at what Gabriel said to Mary and meditate on it. Really consider it. Don't let it just be a Christian phrase that gets slapped on a bumper sticker or something. Nothing will be impossible with God. Consider who Christians say God is, his size, his power to create and sustain, his grace and love. Look to that God and in wonder and in awe of his majesty, now present your doubts there. That's honest doubt. It's a doubt that says, I wanna know what is true. So God, if you are who you say you are, I'm listening, I'm open. Leave room for a God who might be above your intellect or understanding. Search the scriptures. Listen, if you want somebody to read the Bible with you, come talk to one of your pastors. We would love to sit down and read scripture with you and search for truth with you. And here's the last thing we see in Mary. You gotta give God your full surrender. You gotta give him your full surrender. This news was wonderful, but it demanded Mary's full allegiance. She had to say yes. And I think the simplicity and like full on yes that Mary gives is somewhere between encouraging and frightening for me, right? I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be done to me according to your word. But this is the picture for us. If we're gonna receive the news of Christmas, the Savior King has come, offered us salvation, offered us eternal victory, offers it in his kingdom, which means we gotta to surrender to him and he calls the shots. Are you willing? And when I say surrender, let's put some handles on that. Are you willing to let him change your plans for your life? Are you willing to let him change your goals, to change your dreams, to be about his kingdom, his name, his glory, and not your own. You cannot negotiate your way into the favor of God. You're either in full surrender or you're in full rebellion, right? You can't sow a seed of $20 to a prosperity preacher and believe that's gonna return a hundredfold to you and that's the favor of God like Jesus is some shady broker. No, you also can't just try to be better. I mean, you can, but that's not what gets you right with God. There are two options. Full rebellion or full surrender? That's the one and only deal that God offers you. All of Jesus and all of his blessings, but for all of your life. And hope is found when you give him everything and hear him say, favor one. Hear him say, I love you, child. I love you, son, daughter, favored one. Receive all that I have for you in Christ. Have you opened your heart to this news? This is the news of Christmas. The favor of God has come to you in Christ. If you have, if that's you, Christian, 
Man, I want to call you to a, I've been trying to figure out the right words for this for the rest of Christmas, a celebratory rest, all right? Where you are able to rest, you have that peace, that shalom that God promised Israel has come to us in Christ. And you are able to rest in a worshipful way. Worship your God and rest in his promises. But maybe you're in that space where you say you believe all this, but you don't feel it. You feel far from God. Then again, I'd say follow Mary. In Luke 2, after he's born, there's this, Jesus is born. There's this little closing statement where Luke just adds in, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Take a cue from her and just ponder all that the Lord says to you about who you are in light of who Christ is. Consider it. Maybe the way to pray is, God, help me to to know what I already know until it reshapes my emotions. Help me to know what I already know. Help me to know this hope in a way that my disappointment and my pain get swallowed up in the hope of the day to come. Help me to know this hope in in a way that lets me say, I can let go of all that I have because I have all I need in Christ. God, help me know this hope in that hour that if it's not here, it might come where my life crumbles around me so that instead of despair and anger, no, my, my soul's gonna burst into song and say, my soul will magnify the Lord. I will not fear, I will not despair. I have the favor of God on me and every one of his promises to me are yes in Christ Jesus. That's found in Mary's very simple prayer. Behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you pray that today? If not, you know that same favor can be yours through receiving Christ as your savior. That's where I wanna lead us to as we close our time. Mary wasn't favored because she was sinless. She was favored because of what her son would do for her. Before she was the mother of grace, she was the daughter of grace. In Christ, the favor of God is extended to you. Will you receive it? Would you pray with me? I wanna take a second and let you ponder the message of Christmas, the hope of Christmas. Like Mary, I want you to consider the announcement of Christmas that the Savior has come. We look at it through the lens of the cross and resurrection. Christian, if that's you, will you, and you believe that right now, will you just pause and say, thank you. Thank you, God. Worship him in your heart and mind. Thank you, God, for saving me. Consider again all that this means for you. Consider the day to come. Tell him, I believe there's a day coming. If that's you and you believe it, but you don't feel it, maybe you felt far from God. Just ask him, God, will you help me to believe this in a way that reshapes everything about me? Stir my affections again for you, God. His spirit is with you and wants to answer that prayer. If you've never received the message of Christmas, I wanna call you to that now, to receive that news. 
Every person has to do that for himself or herself. And you can do that now. To God, I believe that I am in need of saving. That's simply acknowledging that you're a sinner. You've chosen your way over God's way. Say, God, I believe that. I believe I'm sinful. I can't do enough to get right with you. I recognize recognize now that the only way to be reconciled back to you is through Christ and what he did for me. So you tell him, God, I receive what Christ did for me today. I believe it and receive that great hope. I believe he died for me. Thank you, God, for saving me. And as you tell him that, I want you to hear, even if you're in the middle of a mess in your life, the Lord is with you. He will be with you now until the end of time. He will sustain you. He loves you. You are his child. And one day, one day he's gonna reverse all the pain and disappointment of this life. And victory is yours in Christ. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the announcement of the coming of Christ. God, in the middle of circumstances that that might feel unsettling, God, I pray that we would, as a church, burst into song, celebrating with certainty, with hope, the great salvation and victory Christ has won for us. We worship you, God, in Christ's holy name. Amen.